The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. We are in the midst of our One Body, Many Parts um, commitment campaign for next year, and we're asking everyone at the church to make a financial commitment to Holy Comforter in 2024. And all of us, by all of us contributing and coming together, we can be all that God wants us to be here. And I'm sure many of you want to participate in this campaign. You, you think, you know, I love this church. I want this church to be a thriving place. I want people, other people to come and find here at Holy Comforter what I have found here and have an opportunity to meet with God and be served here. But you might have this question, how much money should I give to the church? It's a good question, but it's a question that doesn't have an easy answer. Like so many other things in our life and so many other questions of life, there is no single Bible passage to look up that says, Christians should give X number of dollars to the church. And while there's no one Bible passage to turn to, overall the scripture does give us a framework and provide us some help in understanding how we are to think about money and view money, and that can help us understand and think about, well, answering that question of how much money should I give to the church. Consider our reading from Matthew this morning where the topic of money comes up. Jesus is here in the temple in Jerusalem. This is, takes place during the last week of his life before his crucifixion. Uh, our reading comes from Matthew chapter 22 this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is ushered into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and praises of king, kingliness as they call him son of David. The crowds are excited that Jesus is there in Jerusalem and they think that now is the time when Jesus will take his throne. As Jesus gets into Jerusalem and throughout chapters 21, he teaches some parables as we've been reading the last few weeks on Sunday morning. He teaches some parables that bring judgment against the religious leaders and authorities. And as they hear these parables of judgments, one after another, the religious authorities, they don't really like Jesus' message. At the end of chapter 21 and verses 45 and 46, Matthew says this, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. So the religious leaders, they are ready to get rid of Jesus. They want to usher him off the scene, right? He is not supporting 
their work and their positions. So they decide they're going to set a trap for him. Decide that they're going to ask Jesus a tricky question that's going to force him to say something incriminating about himself. And so they come to him and they say this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? You might be wondering, well, what exactly is the trick here? What's the trap? What are they trying to trick Jesus into saying? We need to understand their larger context in order to understand the trick that they're, and the trap that they're setting for Jesus. Jesus is a Jew, and along with other Jews, he is living under the control of Rome, and he's living in this oppressive state. Many Jews, they do not like that they are occupied by the Roman Empire. They want their freedom, and they do not want to pay taxes to their oppressors. During the first century, numerous messianic figures rose up in this area to fight against Rome. They led rebellions against Rome. One such guy is Judas from Galilee, the same area that Jesus is from. In about 7 AD, um, uh, this is a couple decades before Jesus and his ministry, the Roman emperor passed some new tax laws at the time, and Judas heard about these tax laws, and Judas said, I'm not going to pay those taxes. And a lot of other people said, we're not going to pay these taxes either, and we are going to rebel, and we're going to fight back against Rome. So they grabbed their weapons, they grabbed their swords, and they went to battle, and the Roman Empire killed them all and put down that rebellion. This kind of thing happened again and again and again throughout the first century. Rome would say, hey, you need to pay your taxes. The Jewish people would say, we're not going to do that. They would arm themselves, they would fight back. Rome's armies would come in and squash the rebellion. So Jesus is presented with this question. Should you pay taxes to the emperor? If Jesus says yes, if Jesus comes and says, yes, you should pay your taxes to the emperor, then Jesus looks like a collaborator with Rome. Looks like someone that wants to get along with the oppressors. And this would be at odds with the majority of the people of the land. Who just a couple days earlier, when Jesus is presented with this question, who just a couple of days earlier were proclaiming Jesus to be the son of David. They were offering these kingly shouts and proclamations. They were saying, Jesus, you are going to be our next king. You are going to lead us. Rome's not going to be in charge anymore. You're going to be in charge, Jesus. So the people are not going to like an answer from Jesus that sounds like he's going along with what Rome is up to. If Jesus were to say, yes, pay your taxes, at the very least, the people are going to stop listening to him, and at worst, they might call him a traitor and stone him to death. So you think, well, well then maybe Jesus should just say and answer the question, no, don't pay your taxes. He says something like that, he starts sounding a lot like Judas from Galilee. Jesus' supporters might say, yes, that's right, we're not going to pay our taxes, let's arm ourselves, let's get our weapons, let's go to war, let's fight these Romans. And Romans would also understand it as an act of war for Jesus to say, don't pay your taxes. They would move in to arrest him, to grab him, and crucify him. That's how things played out for many, many other people who said, don't pay your taxes. So this is the trap. Jesus can get in trouble with the people, or he can get in trouble with Rome. That's the kind of what this question is trying to force him 
into. Verse 18 says that Jesus understands what these people are up to with their question. He understands that they are, don't have good intentions, that they have malice intentions. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. He says, you guys are hypocrites. And then he asks them to show their hypocriteness, to show how they're being hypocritical. Jesus asks them for a coin that is used to pay taxes. And they bring out a coin. It's very important to understand here in the scripture reading that Jesus himself does not have this coin. It's the other people that have the coin. And then Jesus says, well, whose face is on that coin and, and whose inscription is there? And the people say, it's the emperor's. During Jesus' time here, when he's asked this question, Tiberius is emperor of Rome. And he, like so many other emperors of Rome, had coins minted with his face on it. And he had an inscription put on his coins. And his inscription read this, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Here's an important thing to know about so many of the Jewish rebellions during the first century. They, the problem wasn't just that they didn't like paying taxes, but they felt like that paying taxes was participating in idolatry because they would have to carry around and use coins that had someone's image on it who, they, who was proclaiming themselves to be divine and to be the son of God. It was a big violation of the Ten Commandments. The Jewish people were to have no other gods and they were not supposed to make idols or have anything to do with idols. And so before Jesus even answers the question, he's already shown the Herodians and the Pharisees to be compromised because they have a coin with an idolatrous image on it that he doesn't have. With that action, Jesus shows that he's not the one in the situation that has an idol in their pockets and carrying it around. Right? These are the people that have the idols as the crowds are watching this interaction take place. So Herodians and Pharisees are trying to delegitimize Jesus, but he turns the tables onto them and points out to the crowds that they are the idolatrous people and they are the people not to be listened to. They are the hypocrites. And then Jesus speaks and gives his answer to this question. He says, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. A quick reading of that phrase and those, those words might be that Jesus is saying, yes, pay your taxes. And that could be true if, he only, if we only had that first clause, if we only said, give to the emperor the things that are emperor. But Jesus says that second part as well. Give to God the things that are God's. With this utterance, Jesus has created two categories for things. There's God's things, and then there's the emperor's things. There's two boxes, right? And you could sort everything into one of these two boxes. God's box and the emperor's box. What do you put in each box? What goes where? What things, let's look at God's box. What things are God's things? You might say, well, worship, right? Worship belongs to God, right? We should put that in the God box, right? Our worship should go there. That's what we should be giving to God. 
Maybe our love, our devotion, that also should go in the God box, not in the emperor box. And then begin to realize, well, well, God's the one who made everything. God made all of creation, right? Everything kind of belongs to God. Well, shouldn't everything kind of go in the God box? Right? My life is a gift from God. My very existence, every breath of air that I receive comes from God. Maybe all of that should go in God's box too. The food I eat, the skills I have, all the good gifts that God has given to us go in the God box. We could go on listing them. It would take quite a while because there's a lot that goes over in the God box. Well, what's left? What goes in the emperor's box? What goes over here? What, what things are you supposed to give to the emperor that don't belong to God because they belong to the emperor? What do you put there? What's left? What do people have that belongs to the emperor that doesn't belong to God? Well, one thing that people have is money that the emperor created that has his own image on it to compel people to worship him. Idolatrous worship is not part of God's kingdom and doesn't belong in God's box. So when Jesus says, give to the emperor what is the emperor's, he's saying, don't mess with the idols that the emperor made. Give them back to him. If he wants to create idols, he can do that. But you people, stay away from those things. Don't have anything to do with them. Those are not things you should give to the worship and service are things you should not give to the emperor. Those belong to God. So the things that go in the emperor's box are things like idolatry, evil, sin. Those are all the things that don't belong to God, that God doesn't want to have anything to do with and doesn't want us to have anything to do with. Jesus asked for our whole commitment in our lives, right? There's a lot that goes in the God's box. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't make demands for us that he doesn't also fulfill. Jesus was all in and gave himself on the cross so that we might all have an eternal relationship with God and not be left to live under the ways of the emperor, being forced to worship the emperor and participate in the ways of evil. Jesus is faithful to continue to help us grow in our understanding of stewardship and help us to live in the way that Jesus wants us to live. This passage helps us to answer the question of how much money should I give to the church by helping us see that the money, like every other gift we have, all belongs to God. Not just some of it, but all of the money that we have belongs to God. That means we can't have the attitude that uh, I can set aside a little bit of my money and give it to the church and say, that's what I'm giving to God, and then the rest of my money I can do whatever I want with without any regard to what God thinks or what God desires. All of our money is to be used in ways that honor God. All of it. Every last cent. To be a good steward of your money means to use all your money in ways that honor God. That's how we're going to fulfill if we're going to give to God what is God's. And so that means we're going to use our money in all kinds of different ways because there's all kinds of ways to honor God. For example, some of your money should be used for you to have food to eat. I think God wants you to have food to eat and live. Your continued existence honors God. That's being a good steward. 
For example, I think some of your money should be used to love and care for your neighbors. I think God wants you to be in right relationship with your neighbor. That's being a good steward and honoring God. And I think that some of your money should be given to support Holy Comforter and our life together as a church community. It honors God for us to come together and to worship. It honors God for us to support one another in our lives. And it honors God for us to grow as followers of Jesus. That's being a good steward. Now the question, of course, is, well, what portions, right? What percentage of my money should I spend on food? And what percentage of my money should I spend on loving my neighbor and helping my neighbor? And what percentage of my money should I give to the church? Those are difficult questions. And as I said earlier, we don't get a simple answer. That's something for us to discern. That's something for us to pray upon. That's something for us to have conversations with one another, with our fellow Christians, about what we're doing with our money and how we're honoring God with what God has given to us. Again, the Bible rarely gives us straightforward and simple answers, but it does give us a framework and understanding of how God sees things and how God invites us to see things in the same way. As we see money like God does, then that helps us tremendously in answering the specific questions of our life that are presented to us, like the questions of like, how much money should I give to the church? Know that I'm praying for you as you continue to discern and to think about what God is asking you to do, not only with the money that you give to the church, but with all the money that God is asking you to give in honor of who he is.